Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of $15,178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. On this week's Lutini Rock and Roll Circus, we uncover everything that you need to know about the police's biggest album, Synchronicity. Get ready to rock out with your talk out. It's the Ludini Rock and Roll Circus. All right, moms and dads, boys and girls, children of all ages, welcome back to the circus. My name is Lou Lombardi, a.k.a. Lou Dini. You can find me at loulombardimusic.com. Free EP for all that go there, as well as access to our private uh, Facebook group, Lou Lombardi's Inner Circle, where we talk about all kind of music-related stuff constantly. There's no politics. There's no none of that garbage in there. It's just great rock and roll 24-7. People sharing music, talking about music. Some musicians in there sharing their own music, uploading cool videos and stuff like that. So check it out. Go to LouLombardiMusic.com. Shout out to our longtime friend and sponsor, wolfscustoms.online no reason guys to go out there playing your gigs you know as gigs and stuff start to happen with the same boring looking guitar that everybody else is using no 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 get a hold of wolfscustoms.online and get a custom paint job on your guitar bass ukulele uh sousaphone didgeridoo didgeridoo cowbell hurdy gurdy Hardy Gertie, yeah. Yeah. Calliope. Yeah. Wow. See, like anything. See, they do it all. Chris, talk to Chris Thunderwolf Dots and WolfCustoms.online. And of course, our friends at Rock Rage Radio. Go to rockrageradio.com, download the app, and you can hear great music and great entertainment like this 24 7, including the Ludini Rock and Roll Circus, as well as Hot Licks with Lily Six. Um, and speaking of Lily Six, we have Lily V Six from Rock Rage Radio with us live in the studio today. So how are you doing, Lily? What's up? I expect everybody at my uh, Lily Six Live Saturdays to have a Wolf's Custom guitar at my show. So you probably should get on that before they commence this month. Just a, just saying. Anyway, I did go to a show on Saturday at Brandy's Basement. I saw the Borstal Boys. Oh, great band! With openers, Ke- opener Kevin Balanzi. He did some solo stuff, and it was pretty cool. Good awesome. stuff. Awesome. Awesome. Where was that again? Brandy's Basement in Irwin. In Irwin. Yes. Okay, and we have, yeah. of course, the man, the legend, the birthday boy himself, Keith the Hawk Hawkins. What's up, Hawk? You know, just another year older, and not another year wiser, I don't think, but, you know, <laughs> I heard if you drink enough beer, it'll make you smarter and made Budweiser, you know what yeah. I mean? I'll be, here, I'll be here all week. <laughs> made Budweiser, made Jenny C., Oof. Another day older <laughs> and deeper in debt, right? <laughs> well, you know, it's the, the IRS way. got my name on there. Uh, I don't get any Christmas cards from put them out. Put it that yeah, way. anybody who voted for Trump is getting an, uh, an audit this year is what they're saying. So um, anyways, guys, uh, we got Keith the Hawk Hawkins. We've got Lily V6. And we more most importantly, we've got Synchronicity by the police. Um, what was the date of this album? June 17th, 1983. 1983, June 17th. So it came out the summer before I was going into my junior year of high school. And believe me, man, when everybody got back to school in September, this was the talk. Synchronicity by the police blew everybody away. Every breath you take, um, every breath you 
Every birthday, King of Pain. All the uh, all these songs were like all over the freaking radio. You could they were inescapable. It was like it was. We hadn't seen anything like this since we since since Purple Rain and Born in the USA. Those were like the other two records of the '80s that were just like you just couldn't get away from. They were just freaking everywhere. Um, so this was a major album. What we're gonna do, we're gonna do something a little different tonight. Is we're going to rank the tracks first. We're gonna mix it up a little bit, and then we're gonna go from lowest to highest. Mm-hmm. Okay, and we're going to discuss them. I have tons of notes. Keith knows everything. Stuart Copeland in the police. He's a giant uh, police fan. Lily's got notes. So it's going to be, we're, we're going to have a lot of content for you guys tonight about this. So let's get an order going so we can follow that order. Mm-hmm. Okay, so do we have, can we, can we do this? <laughs> can we do, I know they're all great songs. This, this is records hard to do. But what can we put like as because there, there's eleven there's eleven tracks? Yes, we're going to talk about murder by numbers. Yes, it was a hidden track. I know that it was only on the cassette. Too bad we're talking about it. It's a great song. Woo-woo. Okay, so we're gonna we're, so that's on the, that's definitely on the list. So we're including that. So what do you want to say is our number eleven, Keith Lily? T in the Sahara, Mother. Mine was Synchronicity One for number eleven. What? 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 what, what? Sorry. Oh. <laughs> Woo! This show is getting off and running. Um, I found it boring. <laughs> really? It opens the album. I, I like two great. better. <laughs> I love Synchronicity 2 too. 2 2? <laughs> I wear a 2 2 when I listen to Synchronicity 2. So. I'll have you know that this, this, this album came out in my metal years when all my friends were metalheads. I took a lot of shit for liking this, but also like all the other albums before then. And it was one of them bands that I was like, had to go home and sneak and listen to. But I that was your that was your guilty pleasure at that time, right? <laughs> yeah, and to, to this day, the, the amazing thing is that other than like Zeppelin and the Beatles, this is probably my biggest influence as a band. This mm-hmm. is like the great one of the great, not just you know the great trios, but the great rock bands of all time to me. This band could do no wrong to me, and unfortunately, they were. They hung it up when they were in their heyday, which is odd. You know, we could discuss that. But, I mean, it's one of them things where this album is a pop masterpiece. Uh, uh, really, it's, hard, it's hard to rank them, but I got my my least favorite would be Mother, just due to the fact that it is, it, it's a it's an oddball track on the album. I think it was kind of just like a filler. It's Andy Summers just kind of, kind of just, you know, yelling in the microphone. Um it's got a cool r- rhythm and, and we're going to talk about the song. Hold on, but, hold on. We're going to talk about the songs, but let's just rank them first. I want to talk okay. about that. I want to talk about everything you want to talk about. So Mother is 11. I'm going to go next. We're just going to do them like it's the only fair way to do it. I'm going to put T in the Sahara as number 10. Okay? Mm-hmm. Okay, Lily, what are you going to... You pick one for number nine. Number nine, yeah. I already know we're all not going to agree. That's I, okay. No, just pick your number nine. That's all how we're going to do it. Miss, gonna, we're going to go Gr- all the way around until we get to Miss Gradenko is my number Miss Gradenko is your number nine. Okay. Keith, pick your number eight. My number is Every Breath You Take. It's just a fine. song. I got you. No problem. We're going to talk about it. Number seven. Yeah, I'm going to pick number seven. Uh, number seven, number seven is going to be uh, Walking in Your Footsteps, which is a great song. We're just ranking them just so we have some kind of order. So what is going to, Lily, what's your number six? All right. I got to find it because you guys already picked them. Um, just pick something. Uh, I don't even know. Synchronicity one. Will that, be that's six. fine. <laughs> okay, Keith, what you got? What you got for number five? Uh, number five, I had actually synchronicity one. But if you want another track, uh, shit, man, uh, wrap it around your finger. Okay, it's a good, good one. one. Good one. Big hit. Big hit. Love it. Okay, number four is for me is going to be. Oh, see, we're down to the ones I absolutely love the most. But I'm going to put Murder by Numbers as number four. It's a great song. What do you got for number three, Lily? Oh, my God. Oh, that's one I forgot to put on the my... Oh, I have to look it up. Oh, my... That's a great song. Uh, you have a for what? Number what? That was four. Number four? No, three. Three. Number three. Three. Okay. And what do we got for number two? We're coming down to the end here, guys. Me? Go ahead. King of Pain. And actually, Synchronicity 2 is my number one. <laughs> and Synchronicity 2 is going to be our number one. We're going to say is number one. 
We're just going to go as a band tonight. We're a band tonight. <laughs> all for one, one for all, the Three Musketeers. And this is just how we're doing it. They're all great songs. There's no way to kind of really say, you know, anything. So let's go ahead and let's get into it right now with number 11, Mother. And Keith, you started talking about Mother. So why don't you go ahead, brother? Mother, brother, talk about Mother. Uh, it's just a tune that I think I wouldn't call it a throwaway. Like I said, this is, to me is a great police album. I mean, it's probably one of their, you know, a lot of people think it's their best record. I mean, I'm kind of torn on that and Zenyat. But, but I mean, it's uh, it's a it's definitely a masterpiece record. I just think sometimes you either want to get everybody's writing credit in there, or you kind of just have some throwaway tracks. It's just a it's a song that's kind of cool, but at the same time, I can't rank it up there with the great, more radio friendly sort of like groove laden tracks. I mean, it does have a cool groove to it, but like I said, it just gets a little bit too psycho for me, and it's kind of a uh, just one of them tunes that just kind of sits there. I mean, it's. I listened to the entire record again today, and it's like I've heard it a million times, but it's just tune that I can never really just grasp onto. Like some songs you listen to more and more and more, and you're like, "Shit, man, there's something cool about that I really like." But this is a tune that I just, I just can't really, I just never get on board with. I just don't know why. I just, I, it's, it's a filler to me. Um, I think that if you had to say. There, that there is a filler on this album, you could probably say Mother. However, I think it's a really unique song, and I love the fact that Andy Summers sings it, and there's a f- hilarious story about this song that he, that is a one-take vocal, and he said that mm-hmm. he, he could not sing for about three, four weeks after he did it. He like put everything into it, and he's really straining his voice. It's terrible singing in the sense that of technique it's like really hard on your voice um i think that the, the the sort of sentiment of the song that like every girl i date becomes my mother it's, it's got like this whole freudian thing it's freaking hilarious song i think that um i think that that was not lost on sting i think when you know when the guys all brought the songs to, that they were going to record that they were pitching to be on the album i think sting like totally got like this and sting is totally into psychology and the album synchronicity that comes from like a kind of a uh, um uh, a, a jungian kind of idea and so it's kind of fun to have a sort of Freudian song in there as well. So I, I, knowing Sting, not knowing him personally, but knowing what he's all about and what the sort of the theme of the album uh, was about. Um, I mean, I hey, the dude can keep a four-hour heart on. What can yeah, you do? exactly. You got to give, uh, give him some props, you know? S- uh, Summers explained that the song was inspired by his mom. We all have our family situations. I had a pretty insane mother who was very focused on me. I was sort of the golden child, and there I was sort of fulfilling all of her dreams by being this pop star in the police. I got a certain amount of pressure from her. So uh, there you are. So mother. Uh, Lily, you want to add anything about mother? Um, the one thing on there... Um... Sting was obviously uh, the influencer, on, and, and he chose most of the songs. Um, usually had total control, except for this one, Murder by Numbers and uh, Miss Gradenko. Um, this song sort of won him over. He thought it was bizarre enough and weird, and peop- and he just got it. So that's what I have to add to that. <laughs> yeah, I, I think... You people, know, people liked it. If you ha- Listen, this song as filler is better than a lot of the hits... <laughs> On a lot of other people's albums. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's, yeah, that, that's, a, that's a given. Like I said, this is just a band that I just find really no fault with, other than the fact that their career was cut way too short. But I think that it would have been a homicide if they'd have continued on. So, oh we'll, uh, uh, yeah, we're going to talk just, about every breath you take here in a few minutes. Um, T in the Sahara with you. Oh boy, that is our number ten. So, who wants to get into a little T in the Sahara? Got anything on that, Keith? Lily, who wants to jump in? Um, it was inspired by uh, Paul Bowles' book, The Shelter Sheltering Sky. Um, the first section of the book is called Tea in the Sahara. Um, in it, the character port is, uh, is, a tol- is, ha- is telling a story in which three sisters wait for a prince to join them for tea in the Sahara Desert. Uh, Sting was a fan of the novel, so he based the lyrics on the story of the song. Andy Summers um, claimed to have been the one who gave Sting the sheltering sky, so... He was sort of influenced on that as well. Um, d- 
despite Sting's affection for the song, he has since claimed that the track was too fast. He said in 1993, I've always loved the song. There's too much space in it, but I think we played it too fast on the album and live. So he sort of has a love-hate affection for that song. <laughs> this would have been... I'm, I'm, sure, this, he blamed, I'm sure he blamed Stuart Copeland for that. Pro- I'm sure he blamed Stuart Copeland for it. Um, this, this song is... Uh, I get probably my least favorite. I actually prefer Mother over this song, but it is a great song. And the bass line on it, I think, is really, really cool. Great song. Go ahead, Keith. That's about all I have to say. But what are you going to, anything to add to uh, T in the Sahara? Yeah, this is one of the tunes I would, you know, rank towards the bottom, too. But I do like to, I mean, I'm going to mention this a million times. I'll be like a fucking parrot tonight, excuse my language. But I mean, I'm going to repeat myself over and over again. Stuart Copeland's drumming on this album is that it's, at, at its height, man. I mean, his just the sound of his drums, the way he incorporates marimba in songs, the, the octobons, a lot of just cool percussion stuff. This one here takes me back to some earlier police stuff because he's playing. He sounds like Stuart Copeland a lot of stuff. I think a lot of tunes that he has to sort of like struggle, whether with it's with him and you padge him or whatever. It's kind of this one here is very Stuart when it comes to the rhythm of the song where he just does his thing and like makes it that unique sound where he just sounds like Stuart Copeland. I think that, like I said, is it the greatest, the best song on the, on the record? No, but I think it just kind of just really instills that kind of almost earlier police sound with, with the rhythms that he's using. So it's uh, a song that I think is, again, not on the top, of the of the list but it's a it's a good song and it's uh it's tough like i said on this album but i think the Stuart Copeland delivers the good on this record well this does have a little bit more of that reggae kind of uh, influence that they had on their earlier records um one of the things that they set out to do on this album was to not sound as much like the police uh, because a lot of bands had come out since that were very police influenced, specifically bands like Men at Work were very influenced by the police. And so they were like, ah, oh, you know, we're going to kind of just be lost in the shuffle and just leave it to these guys to kind of do something completely different, but still sound like the freaking police. Right, Keith? I mean, they, it's a different record for them, but they still sound like them. It's amazing. I mean, I've, I've even heard uh, in certain interviews, I've heard Getty Lee mentioned that Rush was even trying to like. Oh, dude, sound of course, man. Yeah. Oh, that whole, that whole. I like, mean, that's, you know, it's, it's, it's can be you know like definitely two power trios but like in it's russia definitely a lot more progressive but the police can definitely play and they can hang with a lot of bands but it's the same time i've heard getty lee mention that a lot of their synth influence stuff was you know you're trying to keep up with the genesis man if you can you know the police are selling a lot of records of doing well, police, it, it police was, music it, so. it was more than that they true getty and um the Alex and Neil were tr- huge fans of the police. It wasn't just that they were trying to keep up with the. They liked that music. They loved where these, where the police were taking pop music. They thought it was absolutely fantastic. And the whole, I, I say the whole mullet era era of Getty Lee is, re- is really them like going like, we love the police. Let's see if Rush can kind of do the police. And that whole, all those records are very kind of police uh, influenced. But uh, so that was our number uh, ten. T in the Sahara with Lily V6. <laughs> and so our number nine, number nine, number nine, number nine, number nine. Miss Gradenko. Miss Yeah, it's a good song, but Miss Gradenko. Oh, boy. Does anybody want to talk about Miss Gradenko? Yeah, it repeats the lyrics too much. I mean, are you know, are you safe, Miss Gradenko? Are you safe, Miss Gradenko? Are, are you okay, Annie? Annie, are you okay? I mean, it's the same shit over and over again. It's it's, it's a song that is just one of the things where it's a track that is good, but it's you know not good enough for me. I don't know on this tune. It's it's good. It's one of them. Another one. It's almost like a filler type track, but it's still police, so it's better than a lot of shit. Um, I think it's a. I, I really like love the chord progression on it, um, and the bass line again. Stinks is the king of bass lines. It's just absolutely, um, and I love the melody to it. I love the. I do like the repetitiveness of it. It the song is a, a kind of. Um, 
what? It, Gradenko is a is a German is it not a German? It's a Russian name, and I think that the song is a kind of like at the time the Iron Curtain thing was going on, the Cold War, the whole thing. So I think it was a kind of statement about the sort of police state in the Soviet Union. Do you have anything on this? Um, to, well, written by Stuart Copeland, but they think... Stuart, yes, there's only two songs not written by Stings. This, this, this one, is one of them. Yeah. Um, so it's said that it's about a communist um, government and a woman inside who's getting too personal with some of the people, and there's like uh, secretarial paranoia in the Kremlin. Um, I think it's sort of like George Orwell's 1984, which is a book I had to read a lot in high school and college. So it just reminds me of that. Yeah, it ha- it, I think that that's what he's going for. What's so interesting is kind of, kind of the song is kind of like an upbeat kind of song, but it has this kind of darker lyric to it. Um, so I think this, I think it, I think it's really, really cool. Um, and not, not one of their radio singles, of course, but, no. you know, and as far as, you know, again, the, the, fil- the, the police's filler is better than most people's hits. Just keep it like we'll just we'll just leave it at that. So let's move That's on. Why it's, 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 it's tough to label these songs. I mean, it's like the, the, this song maybe isn't the strongest song on the record, but it still would beat a lot of asses in the day. And, uh, I totally agree. Other. So let's let's get into it, man, because we kind of been dancing around this. Those of you who are maybe don't you're younger, maybe you don't know too much about the police. You know this song because you've been to a wedding <laughs> where somebody said, "Let's play this song because the bride and groom want to dance." And this is, of course, every breath you take. And we all have something to talk about on this song. So we're going to let the Hawk go first, because I know he loves this album. And go ahead, Hawk. Go ahead, buddy. I really love this song, though. I think it's an overplayed, I mean, it's a great, obviously, power ballad type song that you would hear a million times, still hear it on the radio all the time. But, uh, I mean, it's, it's, it's one of them sneaky songs that I think doesn't mean what people, a lot of people think it means. I mean, that's... The lyrics aren't portrayed as what a lot of people interpret them as, so it's kind of that got that opposite thing. But I think that this is probably goes down in one of those, you know, great power ballady pop songs of all time. But it's you know it's one of them songs where I like, but I don't like that much. I mean, it's it's on this album. I don't, you know it's, but it's their biggest single of all time. So I guess you really can't complain about that. I mean, it's. And it's what it is, but yeah, it's it's one of the songs that I, when I hear, it, I kind of just turn the channel because it's just overplayed. It's overplayed and beat down. <laughs> and I, I don't want that to hurt the song though, because that isn't the song's fault. No, like it's that, a it's a great pop song. Yeah. It's a great pop song, and like I said, it's one of the songs where I think the production on it sounds amazing. The the sound of the of, of the bass, the guitar is very mellow in the song but has a, a prominent sound sound too i think the the way his snare drum sounds in the song is amazing it's just it's a, it's just a great well-crafted song and it goes to show you that brilliant musicians can craft simple songs but still have uh, a lasting effect you know which a lot of pop songs do if you do them the right way yeah a, a total total pop classic um lily Here's the reason why it's annoying. It's the biggest U.S. hit in 1983. Uh, at the Grammys, the 26th annual Grammys, the song was nominated for three Grammys, including Song of the Year, Best Pop Performance by a Duo or Group with Vocals, and Record of the Year, winning the first two. Um, it's considered their signature song. Whether they like that or not is another story. Um, it, in 2010, it was estimated to generate between a quarter and a third of Sting's music publishing income. So I'm sure he's real sad about making all that money um it is very dark it's not it's not about love or anything not that kind of love it's about jealousy um it was after it was the aftermath of his separation from francis tamelti and the beginning of his re- relationship with trudy styler so this is a very i'm sort of like it, it's he's really watching you the lady lived next door he's he's spying on her he's stalking her he's it's very dark it's not a wedding song by any means and when he heard that he's just like good luck to anybody who uh, uses that as a wedding song so, yeah. <laughs> okay, now it's my turn. I have a lot to say about this song. Go ahead. First of all, Sting wrote the lyrics to this song in Jamaica at the same desk where Ian Fleming wrote the very first James Bond novel. So I think that that's huh. very telling about where the song is really coming from 
lyrically. It is a, the song is about stalking, a.k.a. spying. Can you put it together, right? Yeah. Exactly. The other thing I want to say about this song is without, and I know that some people aren't going to disagree with me on this, but without Andy Summers' guitar work on this song, you don't have a song. Every chord, first of all, try to play this. Every guitar, I try to play this song on the guitar. It's insanely difficult to play. It's really. I'm gonna say I can't do it, and I really just—I'm not really gonna lose any sleep tonight. Over it. <laughs> it's really hard to do. Every chord, whether it's major or minor, through that main section is an add nine chord. It's very difficult to finger. Very similar to uh, his guitar line in "Message in a Bottle." Kind of like revisited that thing, and it just makes this song like incredible. <clears throat> um, the other thing about this song that is this very kind of controversial and it was really, this is maybe the song that broke up the police in the sense that Sting came to the studio, you know, he produced it in his home studio and it's pretty much almost exactly the same way you hear it. Minus Andy Summers' guitar work. And Stuart Copeland, I mean, Sting produced it, excuse me, in his demo, in his, his own studio. Stuart Copeland was very offended by it because... He felt like there was no room for him to be Stuart Copeland on the song. He was like, you have it all done. Like, what am I supposed to freaking do on this song? And it was so contemptuous that um, Hugh Padham, Pagham, Padham, how do you say his name? I, I, I pronounce it Padham. But I, would I, say I would say Padham. Huge, Hugh, Hugh, Hugh Padham um, insisted that they all record in separate rooms. They could not be together. And this song actually, Hugh almost quit quit the album over it because Stuart Copeland and Andy Sum and uh, Stuart Copeland and um, Sting came to fist came into a physical fist fight huh. over this song. They they had a they had a they had a brawl right there in the studio over this song. Um, a lot of people, you know, the, the the police said when they when they kind of stopped right, you know, after they finished the synchronicity tour they said uh, well you know we want to finish on top we don't want to be one of those bands that has this like long decline and we all know you know, fog hat you know starship you know all those bands that have these terrible <clears throat> and they were well, we wanted to finish on top but the real reason was and if you see the movie everybody stares by Stuart Copeland he, they you really this comes out really really well they all knew that sting was the guy he was the he's the best looking he was in movies, like they all knew, but they also at the same time resented that. And what started happening was, by the, especially by the time they got to Ghost in the Machine, Sting was kind of showing up with the songs done, and it left very little room for the other guys to do their thing. And they were like, well, I thought we were a band. Like, how is this a band when, like, we're just kind of your backup band? And that is really the real reason why they were like, especially Stuart Copeland. You know, you got Stuart Copeland, you got Sting... They're two visionaries in the same band. They're just, they just clashed. Amazing musicians. And I think that there is like a brotherly kind of rivalry between them, but they just couldn't continue. But this is really the song where Stuart Copeland was like really like bombed out. He's like, what am I going to do on this? Only they have it all figured hit. out. Like, <laughs> what, what am I going to come up with? I mean, yeah, that'd be, that'd, that, if I was me, I'd probably be the same way. I mean, I'm, I don't know either person. I mean, I've seen a million, zillion interviews with Sting. He seems like kind of a pompous dick, but I mean, a very talented songwriter and, you know, he's got a lot of things going for himself, you know, but at the same time, it's, if you put yourself in that situation, yeah, that would suck, yeah. you know, because a lot of these songs sound, we'll get into some of them, I'm, I'm sure, but especially a particular one, there's so many songs that sound like beginning of Sting's solo career to me. Absolutely, I totally agree. So let's, let's, uh, we spent the most time on this song because it was the biggest hit on the album. But let's go to number seven, which was, <laughs> this was not really a radio song, but it's still a very cool song about dinosaurs. <laughs> this police did a song about dinosaurs. Imagine that. Um, so, who, Keith, you want to talk about walking in your footsteps? I had no idea it was about dinosaurs. I mean, it's I, not that's really. a good you really got that, that much, much time on your hands to figure out that it's about dinosaurs? It's okay, not. It's not. Not really, but he talks about dinosaurs in it. Okay, yeah. Well, so does Walking the Dinosaur. Maybe what the fuck is that about? Um, but, yeah, that's just one of the songs, though, I really, really think that this one is exactly where it should be. It's in the middle of the pack. It's, is it great? No. 
and it's not terrible. It's one of the songs where I think that Stewart's percussion work in it is is very nice. Oh yeah, it's, 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 it's that's what shows him. Like he couldn't bitch about that song. His his percussion playing in that one is top notch, and I think the song. This is one of the songs though. It could have been it could have been a radio hit. I mean, it's catchy, and it's uh, a lot of these songs are like. I think this whole album's less than an hour long. I mean, it's, these songs are very pop-oriented. You know, the three, the three and a half, four-minute songs. Fifteen minutes, something like that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah this is. Um, I love Sting's vocals on this. I love how he starts out in his lower range, and then he really gets big, and you know, he does that more powerful kind of thing. Then he kind of brings it back down for the rest of it. And you're right, Stuart Copeland's percussion playing on this is really. It like holds the whole thing together, but it's it's still amazingly catchy and fun. Like the, you know, like the rest of the record. What do you got, Lily? Um, so this is not about dinosaurs, but it is about nuclear war and that we would be going the route of the dinosaurs, which is why he talks about dinosaurs. Um, in Studio Sound magazine from March 1984, Hugh Padham remembers that Sting uh, wrote the song on Montserrat, like most, like the album was all written and uh, only took half a morning to do so. Sting didn't bother to find unique sequencer sequencer? Sequencer. Sequencer sounds and he used a factory setting that he found suitable. So, half a morning. There you go. Um, The original lyrics were uh, 20 million years ago but then he realized, wait a minute, dinosaurs uh, that was that's like no, it's got to go back for it. So we were fifty million years ago. It's actually sixty-five million years. <laughs> um, I'm just being a nerd. That's who's counting like at that point? That's you know just, what I mean? Is it really nerd. that long? I mean, who that's the hell is proud of that? That's, that's, I'm just being a nerd. Sorry, I had to nerd out for a minute. Anyways, walking in your footsteps, um, the dinosaur song. <laughs> uh, whatever. Um, so what is it? What do you got? We really get the number six, which is synchronicity one. Ah, yes. So you know, this is a kind of. Isn't this a kind of progressive rock thing to do, Keith? You know, um, you know, we have, you know, that's like, you know, it's a kind of a yes or like kind of thing, like where you have like one and then two later, you know. But these guys as a pop band kind of did this, and I thought it was really cool. Let's talk about Synchronicity One a little bit, Keith. What do you got? I think that this song is obviously very synth heavy, but it comes in with that like cool syncopated ride symbol that Stuart Copeland lays down and he also just drives that song with a nice up-tempo beat. I think that no other song on the record could have been the number one track. I think this is the perfect pick for it. Is this the best song on the album? Again, no. But it is a great song and actually when I seen them on the reunion tour, I'm pretty sure they opened up with this song. Yeah, when they play it live, it's got a little more like, yeah, it's, you know, it's rock. It's, it's, no, like I said, there's no real. A lot of bands that are like smaller numbers, like you know trios. Sometimes they use extra musicians. This band don't need to do that. Yeah, just like another band you and I love, Rush. <laughs> yeah, you know, um, there's a lot of similarities too when you study the police between Police, the Police and Rush. But we won't, Lily. We won't get into that. It's okay. I, I promise. <laughs> I want to add something about the song, but go ahead, Lily. You have something you want to say first? Um, it is the opening track. I probably picked this as 11 because I find it sort of boring and probably because I'm not a big progressive rock fan. But um, it's uh, this and Synchronicity 2 are taken uh, are inspired by Carl Jung's theory of synchronicity. Um, also included in the lyrics uh, young, are... Not Jung. Jung. Not Jung. Young. I'm American. Okay. Um, also included, oh, <laughs> also included in the lyrics is a term from the Second Coming, Spiritus Mundi, the, translating. I'm to, usually the one who pronounces everything wrong, so sorry. Translating to Spirit of the World, yes, I will now forever correct you. Yeah, you do. <laughs> <laughs> That's because you look at me like you need me to. I do. <laughs> like the other songs on um, Synchronicity, Synchronicity One is driven by a synthesizer, like you guys said. Um, when asked how Synchronicity One is connected to Synchronicity Two, Stuart Copeland said, "I've had Sting up against a wall on this issue before, and he point blank refused." Do explain the connection. None of us in the band can even remember which one's which. <laughs> That's funny. That is a quote. <laughs> I, I want to add something because <clears throat> there's a lot of talk about synthesizers on this record, and I want to I want to tell as a guitar nerd, there's some stuff I kind of know about this that maybe John Q. Public isn't doesn't really know. Uh, yes, this is a record where they did bring in more synth and sequence kind of stuff. However. 
a lot of what you think is keyboards on on this album is Andy Summers. Um, there's a kind of funny story. Andy Summers got an endorsement by Roland to play their Roland guitar synthesizer, and he played. He got. He, he was in all kind of full-page ads in Guitar Player Magazine holding this thing. And then about six months later, uh, on the heels of this album, you know, they, they had him on the cover and they interviewed him. And he said, uh, I really don't use that. <laughs> um, well, he has, that's real. He, he yeah. has he, a lot of what you're hearing that sounds like keyboards is him doing stuff with volume, swell, like like uh, delays and stuff where there's no attack, so it doesn't have that chink, chink, chink the guitar, that kind of attack that you get with the pick on the guitar. So it's very keyboard-like, and if you listen really closely, you can tell that it absolutely is um, guitar. No, there is synth and there's piano. Every breath you take's got piano, all obviously, and things like that. But for the most part, the, the police are a guitar band. It's just that Andy is so, like, able to do so much with it that he can take up the space of the keyboards uh, in a lot of places. So some of the stuff, even in, I'm looking at the uh, police wiki here, some of the stuff they have about, oh, the keyboards, keyboards, keyboards. If you listen to the song closely, there's a lot, there is a lot more guitar in it than you think. So uh, we'll just kind of, we'll leave it at that for, what was that, number six. Let's get to number five. Wrapped around your finger. So, Keith, talk about it. Another one that had a. Uh, we didn't talk too many, you know, about these songs. A lot of these songs had great accompanying videos. Remember those? Oh yeah. Um, this had a great accompanying video with all the candles, and they were kind of just, you know, doing everything. But this is another one that I hate to be biased, but Stuart Copeland is killing it on this one. His his use of, like I said different percussion instruments playing with like a lighter touch on this one and just having a overall just creative sound makes this song, I think, you know, go. I mean, it's one it's and another one that has an Andy Summers too on this one is great, creative, very cool chords. And it has like that halftime groove going on, but then it just kind of kicks in at the end. And it's one of them songs I think that, you know, you could hear Shit, man, 50 years from now, they'll still be playing this, this jam. You still hear this one. Lily, want to add something? Uh, sure. This was a personal song for Sting, like uh, King of Pain and Every Breath You Take. Um, it's about his life. He described this song as a spiteful song about turning the tables on someone who has been in charge. Um, like other police songs from this period, it features mythological and literary references, including Scylla and Charybdis, monsters of Greek mythology. See, I can say that with no problem <laughs> and German legend of Faust it has a relatively slow kind of uh, melancholy feel in the beginning uh, verses and then gets to a sort of lighter feeling during the chorus um, I want to talk very briefly about this song real quick first of all it's a great song I love the song This, however um, there's a really funny interview and I don't remember if it was in Rolling Stone or Musician Magazine with Keith Richards of all people talking about and I do not remember how it came up but they got on the subject of the of the police and he was like I freaking love the police and they're a great band but he hates Keith Richards hates the song he says that it is Muzak it's entirely too <laughs> mellow the police shouldn't have done it and he's very disappointed that Andy Summers doesn't have more of a part on on this song um that's just like it's a kind of funny footnote about the song um Hey man, Keith Richards is still alive. He's still rocking. Legit. Can you say? Uh, yeah, you know, it's, it's the <laughs> same guy that plays the same fucking riff. He's pretty. Over he's, and over again, I mean, I think he's like a marionette now, right? He might be. And the other thing I want to say because we talked about um, most overrated and, band of all time. We haven't talked about King of Pain yet, but we talked about this song. We talked about Every Breath You Take. Um, all the videos from the uh, uh, what's your name again, Keith? You mentioned uh, the uh, videos. What's uh, my name again? <laughs> he does that all the time. All the, time. Um, <laughs> the videos for this um, album were all created by Godly and Cream. Now, Godly and Cream were two members of the band Ten CC, and the, in the early '80s, they released a song called "Cry," and it is this really 
it does this face morphing thing that was very innovative. And I remember. The, the, yeah, po- I remember. the police. So I'm, I'm showing my age, but I remember. Yes, the police loved it, so they hired these guys to produce their videos. And they produced this video. They produced the video to Every Breath You Take. They produced the video to Synchronicity 2, which we're going to be talking about a little bit later on. Um, so just, just throwing it out there, kind of an interesting factoid about. The videos, since you mentioned the videos. And yes, great video. That was the era of it. This was like the pinnacle. The time. Yeah, the music video time. Yep. Absolutely. So let's get into the, uh, we did Wrapped Around Your Finger, number five. We're rolling them down here. Number four. This song. Oh, this is such a cool song. Keith, I'm going to let Keith start. Because Keith, what is the freaking beat on this? Because I hear Stuart Copeland's intro on it. And I, I never can find one until it kicks in. So you got to talk about this as a as a percussion. What, what song are we talking about? I'm murder, on my list of the murder by numbers. This, this is what number? Number four. Yeah, no, it's not. But okay, um, this song comes in late, or Stuart comes in early. I guess we'll see. He comes on in on an upbeat. I mean, the song is it itself has that kind of triplety six eight kind of feel to it. But he just comes in. Uh, from what I read on a little article, they were doing that whole separate room recording thing, and they were already started. And then Stewart joins in like later, so I don't know how they edited what was going on. Okay, but I don't, I don't think the song had many takes to it, and this is what you're getting. But it's kind of like an offbeat beginning where it's one of them songs that just comes in where you're like, oh shit, where's one at? And it's you know, they did it live, but I don't know like how he sets it up where it's you know. I think this is one of his great grooves of all, probably one of the great grooves of all time he's performed. But yeah, he just comes in on an offbeat, so it's kind of gives that kind of little bit of that lump to it. I mean, but it but it does settle into a nice, you know, triplety based feel. So that's after that, it gets kind of gets a little normal after that, but not in the beginning. Yeah, it comes in on a weird beat. So I think lyrically too, it's just so freaking cool. Song. It's the song about murder. Uh, what do you, Lily? Go ahead. I know you want to talk about it. Um, so, like you said earlier, it was not included on the um, the record because there wasn't room. But it was the B side to "Every Breath You Take" when they did the, you know, you know what I'm talking about. Um, the <laughs> lyrics. I'm I'm all over the place. The lyrics describe how to get in the mindset of killing people. Sting said it is about the evil deeds of politicians conceived and recorded in a matter of minutes. According to Copeland, they were having dinner when Summer started playing uh, some jazz chords that Sting liked. Sting pulled out a lyric from his stash and worked on the song with Summers and Copeland having dessert. Uh, They soon had the song completed and everyone went to their recording stations. By the time Sting and Summers got going, Copeland had already started playing. Adam rolled tape, and that uh, that one take became the track. So there it's it is. a masterpiece. That's yeah. one freaking take, dude. That's one freaking take, man. That's when you freaking... got it. When you got it, you got it, man. That, What's that's... your name again? Yeah, when you got it, you got it. This is that's that's musicianship, gonna... man. Like that don't they don't you know so that, that that's that's going to show you if he started already playing, then obviously he was in, and if Stuart Copeland already started doing his thing, then it, they join. Even if they join a fraction of the fraction of a second later, it's. Not everybody's ones together, so he's kind of—it's that pickup at the beginning. It kind of gives that odd feel. I kind of feel like that would have been a really cool music video to show how they like just started writing it. Like everybody's at the dinner table, and then people just get up and start doing things. But also another fun fact: uh, Jimmy Swaggart, the TV evangelist, okay, (laughs) said he was. This was performed by the son of Satan or sons of Satan in 1988. A few years after he made his comments, Swaggart was involved in a sex scandal. Big surprise there. Um, this song was featured in the Sigourney Weaver film Copycat. In the film, serial killer leaves the lyrics to the song as a clue. Murder by Numbers is also the title of a 2002 movie starring Sandra Bullock, but the song is not part of it. Um, yeah, I rewatched Copycat, and I, I, I don't know if it's a good movie or not, but it has a song in it, and they really feature the song a lot, and I love the song, so I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> I just think it's so badass. It's just like I want to feel like this is homage to um, Alfred Hitchcock too. Uh huh. Yeah, it has that kind of like thing, <laughs> and it's a kind of swing jazz kind of song. I mean, I mean it's, it's very cool. I think the song would have been like I said once again. This song without Andy Summers' guitar playing on this one, this is not going to have the same feel. That's definitely a, a jazz bass chord she's playing, and it's. I mean, it, like I said, it's got that swing to it, and it's totally uh, a song that's 
probably hard to replicate for you don't probably see a lot of cover bands playing a song <laughs> um we got number three is oh my god oh my god oh boy what do you got <laughs> go ahead this site can't be reached so i have no notes on it so go ahead what do you got sting actually wrote the song uh, oh my god for the band last exit uh, some of the lyrics are the same, but the police's song doesn't have many similarities with the Last Exit version. So we know Last Exit is a free jazz supergroup composed of electric guitarist Sonny Sherrock and a bunch of other people that I'm not naming right now. Look it up, Wikipedia. Um, an excellent rephrasing of the book of uh, Lamentations in the Bible and Sting questioning his faith in God. Um, he feels like no matter how good he is or how faithful he is, God doesn't seem to notice. And he also questions God's priorities when it comes to helping the world. So this is sort of like a, a religious type song which a lot of people include on their albums so some sort of faith issue do you have the do you have the uh background under control there mr hawk because <laughs> we're getting a lot of dog barking <laughs> say again we're good you good okay, so people's walking in the door that's what's gonna go on yeah so what do you so you want to talk about oh my god for a minute before we get to the top two <laughs> Oh my God! Is the uh, song that I picked that sounded like the, the most, like where Sting was going direction-wise. A good point. And he actually played the sax line on the beginning of the song too. So this is where he was going for more of a sort of jazz-based, you know, smooth jazz pop kind of sound, where he would do on a lot of his albums. And I think that this is a great song. But I think that this is where he was going, and probably I don't know if those two would want to come along for a ride, especially to recover on this one. So, yeah. All right. Um, let's uh, get down to the real nitty gritty here, which is the last two. Which is the first. One, we're going to talk about King of Pain. And Keith, you want to talk about King of Pain real quick? Yeah, of course. It's a. This one is probably one of my favorite songs on the record. I mean, I had it coming in number two on my list it's just one of them songs where it's got all the elements of a great pop song it's got a great groove it's got great dynamics i mean the, the overall sound of the of, of the song is is really big and fat and it sounds amazing and it's just lyrically sometimes i don't know where he's coming from i'm sure you guys probably looked that up but it's one of them songs where i think that just stands the test time you could actually I've seen several bands do covers of this song too, and they've all done a little, little their own little vibe on it. But uh, yeah, this song is just one of the songs that will go down in, in pop history, man. That's just it's a really good song. I wouldn't be surprised if somebody, if a lot of people think this is the best song on the record. Uh, I think it's a great freaking song. I love this song. Um, I remember when it came out. Um, this is like my favorite song in the entire world for about eighteen months. Almost two years. Like it was, my, I just loved that. I played it over and over and over. And over. Um, guys, what do you got? You got anything on this little? Yeah, this was this was the song that was released as the first single from the album. Um, it's a post-separation song from his wife Sting, who we're talking about. Um, so it's it's pretty painful for him. Um, he said it was like really deep in his soul that he had to get this song out. Um, the song received acclaim from music critics, many whom praised Sting's lyrics and cited the song as a highlight from Synchronicity. Um, like Keith said, multiple artists have covered King of Pain. Um, the one I mentioned here is Canadian singer-songwriter Alanis Morissette covered the track for her MTV Unplugged album in 99 and released it as a second single from her album. So, not a bad, it's not a bad single. I'm not a huge fan of Alanis Morissette since I've been like, you know, 13 years old, but it's not bad. <laughs> that's what, that's the version that stuck out to me because uh, she did do like a stripped down version of it, so yeah. There's a gazillion people that have done it. Oh, if, yeah. you, if you Google it, um, but there was a. I, I mean, I, I really I know this is like more of a rock and metal bass. I really hate sometimes when metal bands try to do pop songs and it just doesn't come across well. But I'm sure there's several metal bands that tried to do this song. I'm, hopefully they did it well, but I doubt it. Mud Mudvayne has a cover of it. <laughs> yeah, I know. Uh, I mean, I hey, just... man, maybe they killed it. I don't really have the enough. I don't have the spare five minutes to listen to it. <laughs> um, very, very, very interesting song. Um, Weird Al Yankovic recorded a parody of the song called King of Suede, which is about a guy who is really good at selling suede products. 
Okay. I probably kicked your ass then. That's, that's in true weird that Al fashion. Is a giant, that is one of the greatest compliments any musician or band can have is when Weird Al covers your song. <laughs> oh, you know you've reached it. That's the, that is, you can pretty much retire after that. Say, hey. Other, I mean, other than Coolio, everybody seems to be cool with that. <laughs> uh, the mallet. Coolio dis- wasn't having it. The mallet that plays throughout the instrument, the mallet instrument that plays throughout the song is a xylophone played by uh, drummer Stuart Copeland. Um, He told Song Facts, those chords Sting had on a little Casio, which has a kind of clinky sound. We thought, let's make it a little more organic and play it on the xylophone. When they did it live, Copeland would play the xylophone for the first minute of the song, then ditch his mallets and return to the drum set. Uh, Copeland uh, also mallets on Wrapped Around Your Finger. Uh, when they did that one live, it was a showcase song for him as he played a variety of percussion instruments set up on a special rig. So for all you drummers out there, just a little bit of fun facts about King of Pain. So we're down to our number one, numero uno, mm. uh, which I think is like, look, man, I love all these songs. This is an amazing record. Synchronicity 2. That was my number one. the second side of the CD or the second side of the cassette record. or the album. <clears throat> and uh, so kind of cool Synchronicity 1 opens the first side Synchronicity 2 opens the second side and this I think is a kick at this is one of the most straight up heavy rock and roll tracks that the police ever did it's just dun, 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 got that great driving uh, bass line you know they're not trying to get too jazzy or anything it's just they just yeah, it's probably it's probably their like straightforward like you know heavy track I mean the, this one the guitar solo and this one is, is beyond weird I mean, that's live. It's hard to even think about what he does. I mean, I think if I can remember back, he does something. <laughs> but but it's, to get that kind of like weird sound on the guitar solo, that's the, that's the one thing about the song that always stands out to me is the guitar solo because it's just bizarre, man. But in a cool way, though. How bizarre. What do you got, Lily? <laughs> it's the third single from their album. Um, I think it could have easily been the first, but the um, song was described by People Weekly as aggressive and steely, as you guys were saying. Um, it uh, tells the story of a father whose homework, ho- home, work, life, and env- environment, wow, I can't talk today, um, are depressing and uh, dispiriting. Um, there's a cool thing in here that I wrote down and I can't remember. Summers claims that the feedback apparent on the track was a mistake, saying I blasted and wailed for six minutes. The tape was rolling, but I couldn't hear anything through the cans. I was messing around and doing all the stuff I was doing and waiting for them to start. So, wow, mistake. Wow, I did not know that. I'm a guitar player. <laughs> and so I love you go. that song. I mean, I was just wondering. I mean, there had to be some kind of weird circumstance because no one just sits down and I'll think it says, hey, I want to make this oddball solo. And it's that's pretty much what happened. But it's... <laughs> It fits the track. I mean, another track, another song that had like a cool accompanying video with it. Remember those? And uh, oh, yeah. it's just, it's one of those, you know, I mean, I don't think it's the best song on the album, but that's just me. I mean, we're uh, all, we all got it. We all got our opinions. Yeah. So, um, so. Well, we just had to pick something. So we picked them. Um, uh, again, the video produced by Godly and Cream. So very, very good. Very good job there. Um, the synchronicity in the song is a sort of synchronicity between the Loch Ness Monster and this guy's, which, like, screwed which does, up... Which does exist. <laughs> which screwed up life, futility over his... So that is a kind of monster to him. Sing agrees with the assessment of the lyrics. I was trying to dramatize Jung's theory of meaningful co- coincidence, but it was a rocking song nonetheless. And it is a rocking song. And I love the fact that they don't try to crowbar in any jazz or anything like that. It's just... Yeah. Oh! All that. Like, it's just... I just freaking love it all. It's great stuff. So there we are, guys. Um... Synchronicity by the Police, which turned out to be there. That was the last album of original music that they ever released. There's some live stuff. There's the greatest hits. Um, you know the Keith. Did you know this um, about the greatest hits? <clears throat> the original intention was to go back and re-record a bunch of the songs, but Stuart Copeland fell off a horse and broke his collarbone. Oh. That stinks. Yeah, that that did happen. I forgot about that. Yeah, that's that's unfortunate timing there. It's... And uh, so, when they did that remake of uh, what was it? Um, uh, all, um, 
the song about the the, the schoolgirl loves the. Uh, uh, so close to me. Oh, <laughs> um, that was done with drum machines, and this is how much this is how much Sting and Sir Copeland butted heads. They butted heads over whose drum machine they were going to use. Wow, they, were they, they brothers they, in real life? They fought like, <laughs> and there's a lot of videos of them. No, they might they they should have been. Maybe they were in a past life, but yeah, those two. Uh, like I said, I think this band, as great as they were, and will always be in my mind, but I just don't think that maybe it was the best time because once you start button heads over little shit like that, then you got issues, man. There is one cool you thing. Start p- picking things to be pissed about. Yeah. You know? <laughs> <laughs> what can I get on his ass about today? I, yeah. I think I do that in a lot of relationships, even boyfriend, girlfriend, sister, what have you. But one thing I thought was cool was that uh, they spent 17 um, non-consecutive weeks uh, at number one on the charts, and that interrupted the dominance of Michael Jackson's Thriller. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> so that's a pretty big deal. <laughs> um, before we wrap up for today, I always like to do This Day in Rock. A uh, couple of things. Um, uh, in 1959, George Jones released his uh, big hit, White Lightning. On this day in 1961, the Beatles appeared at the Cavern Club. On this day in 1964, the Beatles again made their live debut on CBS TV's The Ed Sullivan Show, doing the number one, I Want to Hold Your Hand. I know, I know. On this day in 1967, Canadian conductor Percy Faith died at the age of 67. On this day in 1967, Engelbert Humperdinck, the film for the latest Beatles single, Penny Lane and Strawberry Fields Forever, was shown on BBC Top of the Pops. It was the first Beatles single not to make number one since, 19, since 1963. Uh, the, this, uh, the top spot was being held by Engelbert Humperdinck's Release Me. Um, we could go on. The Be- Beatles did everything. Uh, Which is a serious jam. Man. Yeah, yeah. Uh, American singer, uh, musician Bill Haley became known as the first rock and roll star, was found dead on this day in 1981. Wow. Fully clothed on his bed in his home in Harlington, Texas, from a heart attack at age 55. On this day in 1982, George Harrison presented the UNICEF uh, Foundation with a check for $9 million. God bless you, George. You know, he was hey, always man, doing good, change. man, until the jump day he died. Change. I mean, change. He was always one of those guys that just had a heart for people and tried to help people. Uh... On this day in 1985, Lily, Madonna started a three-week run at number one with Like a Virgin. Psh, I don't hey. even know what that means. <laughs> <laughs> Lily was never a virgin. We shouldn't say that. Yeah, that's kind of... That's, that's like... <laughs> that's kind of <laughs> wrong. <laughs> wah, wah. This day in 2009, uh, Led Zeppelin singer Robert Plant took home five prizes for his collaboration with bluegrass singer Allison Krauss at the Grammy Awards held in Los Angeles. Raising sand, good album. Uh, on this day in 2009, Ringo Starr became the 2,401st person to be added to the Hollywood Walk of Fame during a ceremony. Uh, cool good. stuff. Uh, on this day in 2015, Bob Dylan turned the tables on his critics during a 30-minute speech at the uh, Music, Care, Music Care's charity gala honoring his career. The 73-year-old, who rarely talks about his work, asked why critics complained he can't sing and sounds like a frog, but do not say that about Tom Waits. Ah, oh, boy. Ah, 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 or Leonard Cohen. That is... Go, Bob. Bob got a, Bob got a good one in there. Um, we got some birthdays real quick. Uh, Carol King. You know, we all know Carol King. Happy birthday to Carol King this day in 1942. Joe... Uh, Country, Americana artist, singer, songwriter, guitarist. Joe Ely was born on this day in 1947. Uh, Denny Thomas, from the, the singer from Cool and the Gang. Happy birthday. Uh, That's cool. Yeah. Rachel Bolin. Rachel Bolin was born on this day in 1964. Skid Row. Uh, Skid Row. <laughs> also, it's not music related, but it is Joe Pesci's birthday today, too. Oh, he is a musician, though. He, he Well, uh, Vinnie Gambini from... The movie, uh, My Cousin Vinny has a, an album. I don't know if you knew that. I did not know that, but there's <laughs> videos of Joe like sitting in at people's weddings and stuff. What are you talking about? <laughs> what, is that fun- what is that funny? Hey, go home and get your shine box. <laughs> He's 78 today. Wow. Yeah. God bless him. I saw that earlier. 
One of just like what, what, what am I? What am I a fucking clown? I amuse you. I'm funny to you. What's the fuck is so funny about next me? Next time we're in New Orleans, I want you guys to do the whole thing. Next time we're in an Uber. <laughs> no, it depends on how close we are to the house. I don't want to <laughs> you want to make it home? <laughs> yeah, we don't want to die. I'm sober, no problem. But if I have to stagger, it's worth uh, We are still here, uh, proudly supporting the SOS 2020 PGH. Uh, charity save our stages go to sos2020pgh.org and check out that if you want to save our stages one more shout out to uh, Wolf's Customs go to wolfscustoms.online get a custom paint job on your musical instrument uh, rockrageradio.com download the app and you can hear Lily when is your show Lily my show is on Thursdays Hot Licks with Lily 6 at 6pm Eastern rockrageradio.com or just get the uh, app on your phone also, I am looking for bands for Lily Six's Saturday shows at the Subalpine, so message me on Facebook. Um, Keith, you got anything you want to add? Any final uh, parting shots, parting comments before we get out? Is that money? I'll take some. February 20th, I'll be at the Poorhouse in Metairie with Ugly. It might get ugly, and it probably will. Nice. Good band name, too, Ugly. Where's it going to be again? The Poorhouse in Metairie, Louisiana. And what's the date? One more time. Say the date again. February the 20th. Good, man. From 9 to 11, and it's all original music for once. It's weird because the guy requested all original music. So now oh. I don't have to do a nine-minute version of Crazy by North Berkeley. <laughs> all right, guys. you've uh, This has been the Ludini Rock and Roll Circus. Go to lulombardimusic.com. Get, download the EP. Become part of our inner circle. Um, who, do we have any shout-outs? Oh, um, already keyed off. I did, but we had Bill Damiano and Chris Thunderwolf not really saying much. Just hi to each other mostly and saying that they could hear us. So. Oh, okay. As long as Thanks, you can guys. hear us, that's the most important thing. <laughs> we right. did have a bunch of watchers. I couldn't see who everybody <laughs> was. I want to give a shout-out real quick to Inner Circle member Chuck Moriel. Chuck invited 15 new members to the Inner Circle himself. Oh, nice. That's cool, Chuck. Goddamn right, Chuck. Yeah, so Chuck, you're a badass, so thank you very much. We're so not worthy, and we appreciate it. You guys have a great week, and we'll catch you all on the next, on the very next, and I said on the very next, if I can find my volume knob here. I'm trying to do this so professionally, and this just will not, this, there it is. On the very next Ludini Rock and Roll Circus. Take care, guys. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.